I'm going to read uh, beginning at verse 19. I'd like to ask Yuri if he would pray God's blessing for the word pronounced. And let me point out to our visitors that I am in the habit of reading from the American Standard Version of 1901. Psalm 103 at verse 19. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels, that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless Jehovah, all ye his works in all places of his dominion. Bless Jehovah. O oh, my soul, let us pray. Lord, thank you for uh, ruling over everything. And we pray that uh, as uh, David brings uh, your word to us, that uh, we will be able to see exactly how you are sovereign over all. And uh, we pray that you touch us in a personal way. Thank you. Amen. The title of my message, which most of you know I don't generally give titles, but uh, I'm only doing this and because of coincidence. But the title of the message this morning that Mark brought uh, was uh, the Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, the title of the message tonight from the 21st verse, verse in particular of Psalm 103 is Jehovah Sabaoth. Now there was a time, and there are still people today, I'm sure, that when they read that expression, the Lord of Sabbath, or the Lord of Sabaoth, rather, in uh, the New Testament, it's only found. Sabaoth is only found in the New Testament twice. And I believe that it's been mistakenly uh, assumed that that's a reference the message that was brought this morning, the Lord of the Sabbath, but it's not. It's an entirely different word, and we hope to bring that out for your understanding and for your uh, uh, good uh, this evening. Bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. We remind ourselves this evening what David has been doing here in the last few verses as he closes this psalm out, this beautiful psalm that's entirely thanksgiving and praise. And he concludes with praise. Bless Jehovah, bless Jehovah, bless Jehovah. All ye his angels, all ye his hosts, all ye his works. <clears throat> but he's crying as we brought out two weeks ago. I trust he's crying out for help. In the case of the 20th verse, he's crying out for help from the angels. He, is, uh, he feels at least that he's exhausted his ability as a redeemed sinner to praise God and to bless his name. And so he cries unto the angels I've submitted to help him, to come alongside, to help him worship, praising God, praising Jehovah, blessing his name, lifting him up exalting him. He's calling upon angels and hosts and ministers and all his works to help him perform this, this privilege that God has given to him, this task, if you will, 
that God has laid upon his heart and he delights. He's the one that wrote that he delights in the law of God. He delights in his word and he delights in praising him. He's called on angels, as we've said, to assist him in worshiping Jehovah. In that 20th verse, I've called them, maybe this isn't a good choice of words, but I've called them generic angels, angels in general, uh, not specific angels, but generic angels. But now I believe that he gets more specific. He says in 21, bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts. Now you may wonder what I mean by that. Why, why are these specific? Why, why are they specified apart from generic angels that David is called upon to uh, bless Jehovah? Those angels that are mighty in strength that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Well, I would ask you, if you wish to follow me, I'm going to read the last uh, four verses from the 24th Psalm. That Psalm speaking of the king, and I trust that we all know who the king is. And he says in verse 7, and this is also a Psalm of David, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? Jehovah strong and mighty. Jehovah mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yea, lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory will come in. <coughs> Who is this king of glory? Jehovah of hosts. He is the king of glory. Jehovah of hosts. He is the king of glory. We have advanced, it seems, from angels in general, or generic angels, to angels under a general, capital G. The king of glory. A king, in fact. The king of glory, according to David here. Jehovah of hosts. Jehovah of hosts is found in the Old Testament 248 times. In the Older Testament. 248 times, Jehovah of hosts. It's found, as I've already mentioned, twice in the Newer Testament, in James 5.4, and in Romans 9.29, inserting the Lord of Sabbath in those New Testament passages. It's interesting, uh, and I looked a few commentators up and I didn't see any explanation even, there didn't seem to even be any concern about the word Sabaoth by the few that I had time to look into. But uh, it just is curious to me why they might have used the term Sabaoth. I think it's good that they did. It's, it's, uh, it would be good maybe if they used Jehovah as well. But at any rate, we find in James 5, 4. James making reference to the Lord of Sabaoth. He's talking, he's writing, I should say, to some of these rich that are not dealing with their, the people that they employ as they ought. He says, come now, ye rich, weep and howl for your miseries, 
that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are rusted and their rust shall be for a testimony against you. And ye shall eat your flesh as fire. Ye have laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who mowed your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth out. And the cries of them that reaped have entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Why should that be such a particular concern to them? Why should that warning kind of ring in their ears louder than other warnings might? for their unlawful and unloving dealings with those whom they employ. Because this is Jehovah, Sabaoth, this is the Lord of Sabaoth, this is the Lord of hosts. He has this army behind him. And we see throughout the scriptures the employment of that army that God happily employs at his bidding. Well, let's look at that other passage in Romans. It's Romans 9. Romans 9. And verse 29. And Paul is, is speaking, he's exhorting, he's, he's talking about the ills, the sins the, of the people of Jerusalem, of Israel. But he says in Isaiah, he goes back to Isaiah to bring this out. He says, Isaiah crieth concerning Israel, if the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that shall be saved for the Lord will execute his word upon the earth, finishing it and cutting it short. And as Isaiah has said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had become as Sodom and had been made like unto Gomorrah. I think that Paul is pointing out to them that they're behaving as badly as the children of Israel in the days of Isaiah. And that if they don't straighten up their act, to put it colloquially, if they don't start obeying God's law, if they don't start minding God's will, that they're going to be, come as Sodom and Gomorrah. And he brings in the expression, except the Lord of Saviot had left us a seed, we had been like that. Except there was a remnant. We had been like Sodom and Gomorrah. He brings in this exhortation slash warning to these, to these people. And he quotes uh, Isaiah from Isaiah in the first chapter. I'm going to be in there a little while if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Beginning at the second verse. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Jehovah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now, isn't that pretty much what he's just said to those 
that he's writing this epistle to in chapters 9 through 11. In fact, the last verse that Josh read, he said, But as to Israel, he saith, All the day long did I spread out my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. It's the end of chapter 10 of Romans. He's got the same complaint pretty much against the people of his day as Isaiah had against those in his own days. He goes on in the third verse, the ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that deal corruptly, that have forsaken Jehovah, that have forsaken Jehovah of hosts, I would add. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are estranged and gone backward. Why will ye be still stricken that ye revolt more and more? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and fresh stripes. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Who's doing that? I think we learned in Sunday school, if we hadn't already known, who's doing this. The one whom they have rebelled against. The one who had nourished them up as children that have rebelled against him. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, in verse 8, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And here's that, that uh, verse that Paul cites, except Jehovah of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. We should have been like unto Gomorrah. Paul renders it, except the Lord of Sabaoth. Here, Isaiah has it, or the translators have it, except Jehovah of hosts. It's the same thing. Sabaoth is hosts. And Isaiah is bringing this indictment against the people of Israel. And Paul's bringing an indictment against the Israelites in his passage in Romans. And they're bringing to bear the fact that they have rebelled against that God Jehovah, Sabaoth, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And it makes a difference to point that out. I mean, how much difference would it make with a student in school if he's told that his, uh, the monitor is going to write him up as opposed to the principal wants to talk to you? I mean, he's pointing out that this is... <clears throat> Jehovah Sabaoth, it is bringing this indictment against them. Hear the word of Jehovah Sabaoth, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. What unto me is the multitude of your sacrifices, saith Jehovah Sabaoth. I'm adding Sabaoth, you understand, because I think it's well placed there. I have had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of eagles. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand, to trample my courts? 
Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with iniquity in the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I'm weary of bearing them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to, isn't that what Paul is pleading in Romans for the Israelites to do? Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then that well-known passage, come now and let us reason together, saith Jehovah Sabaoth. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of Jehovah Sabaoth has spoken it. Ye shall be devoured by the sword. Does he have a sword? He has an infinite number of swords. Does he have a host, an army? He has a, an army of infinite numbers. That's what David's talking about. Bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts. This is what Paul, I believe, is speaking about in Romans 9.29. The remnant, except Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah of hosts, had left us a seed or a remnant. We had become as Sodom and Gomorrah, except he had left us a remnant. But praise be unto God, he has left a remnant, has he not? He has left us a remnant, <coughs> and he's left Israel a remnant. Except Jehovah Sabaoth had left us a remnant, we had become as Sodom and Gomorrah. He's left a remnant according to the election of grace, Paul writes to them, according to the election of grace. And because of that, because he has promised to leave a seed, uh, leave a remnant, he can go ahead, Paul that is, can go ahead quoting another prophet as he does. Quoting Hosea, I will call that my people which was not my people. And her beloved that was not my beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people. There shall they be called sons of the living God. Sons of the living God. Beautiful words. Paul cites from Hosea. He's, it seems like in a sense that he's setting before them, as Isaiah was setting before them, what Joshua set before them, choose. Choose you this day. Who you will follow. Choose you this day who you will follow. And in uh, Romans 9 again, in verses 27 through 29, and Isaiah crieth concerning Israel, if the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that shall be saved. 
Listen, for the Lord will execute his word upon the earth, finishing it and cutting it short. He will execute his word, his word, his promise. He will execute that. He's got a host in order to do that. He's got all that he needs and more to do what he swears, to do what he promises. Yes, to do what he threatens if they don't choose to obey him, he will execute his word upon the earth. Paul points out to them. This is what this setting before people, good and evil, right and wrong, life and death, this is what Jehovah Sabaoth will do, has done and will do again and again and again. Executing his word, executing his promises, which include threatenings, yes. Jehovah Sabaoth reserves nonetheless, reserves himself a seed, a remnant according to the election of grace. There's room. There's room. His hosts, his armies. That's what the word more often than not means armies. And his ministers, his servants. We have kind of a little bit of a distorted idea of the word minister in our day, and it has been for a couple of centuries, I guess. Ministers are considered to be often those people in Europe with white collars and so on. And sometimes over here, they're called ministers, but David's talking about the angels of Jehovah that form his armies, his hosts. And he refers to them also as his ministers. Ministers are servants first, are they not? Christ came to minister to us. He came to serve and not to be served. And that's what these hosts are. Besides being armies, they're servants. Those things are not mutually exclusive. See what Joshua did as the servant of Moses. In Exodus 24, 12 and 13, we read that Joshua was the minister of Moses, which means that he was a minister of Jehovah. He was a minister unto God. He was serving under that man of God, Moses. But remember what he did. Remember what this minister did in carrying out the commands of Jehovah toward Amalek. That's recorded in Exodus 17. Let me just read a few of those verses, beginning at <clears throat> verse 8 of chapter 17. As Israel is traveling out of Egypt and across the wilderness and so on, we read, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. This is his minister. That's the point I'm making. Ministers can be soldiers also. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Just the term the rod of God makes a point, doesn't it? So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. 
And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Ur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited, prostrated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Jehovah said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. The point being that these hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts, his ministers that do his will. These are soldiers, as it were. These are individuals that make up the army of Jehovah. His host, his army, they minister in many things, in many things. Israel under Joshua, the servant of God, soundly defeated these Amalekites. His warrior, not only was was Joshua Moses' servant and God's servant and Moses' minister and God's minister, but he was his warrior. Moses' warrior under Jehovah of hosts. We read in Isaiah 24, I think we get a helpful picture, if it's fair to do that, in Isaiah 24. <clears throat> a lot of passages, perhaps especially in the Old Testament, are pictures for us. In chapter 24, the last few verses of that chapter, 21 through 23, we read these words, these prophetic words, and it shall come to pass in that day that Jehovah will punish the host of the high ones on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days shall they be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. For Jehovah of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth will reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders shall be glory. Jehovah of hosts shall reign. Isn't this a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ? Isn't this a beautiful picture of what Paul speaks of in Philippians? When he speaks of how every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All his angels, all his hosts, all his works obey his word. The centurion reminds Jesus of that. Not that Jesus needed a reminder, you understand. But in Luke chapter 7, the centurion points this out to Jesus. And it seemed to move Jesus to the point of saying he had never seen such faith. 
not in Israel. But Jesus went with them, those that came to him and, and said the servant of their, the centurion was ill. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but just say the word. But say the word, and my servant shall be healed. He understands the authority that Christ has. Jehovah's Sabbath. Authority over this illness, over whatever it is. For I also am a man set under authority, having under myself soldiers, and I say to this one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts. Those that do his bidding. When he says go, they go. When he says come, they come. When he says destroy, they destroy. When he says spare, they spare. Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. All his angels, all his hosts, all his works obey his word. We may imagine something of a picture here perhaps again of the, this heavenly host following their prince at Jericho. You remember in chapter 5 of Joshua when they're confronting Jericho and we're told in verse 13 it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as prince of the host of Jehovah am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And this man with a sword in his hand, drawn in his hand, did not say, Get up off your knees. He accepted the worship just like John accepted the worship of, uh, of Jesus in Revelation. He wasn't told to stand when he was bowing before Jesus. And as Moses took off his shoes at the burning bush when confronted by the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And here, this is conspicuously accepted worship from Joshua. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, and he declares that he is the prince, as prince of the host of Jehovah am I now come. As prince of the host of Jehovah. Jehovah Sabaoth. We see in the next chapter, of course, and we're all pretty familiar, I expect, with the destruction of Jericho and how that they were instructed to march around several days and then on the seventh day, I believe it was, or perhaps the sixth, but at any rate on that final day, they were told to blow the trumpets and all the people to shout and the walls came tumbling down. Now, I don't know what brought the walls down, and it could have been the shouting, and it could have been the trumpets, but it could have been the host of Jehovah's Sabaoth, 
It could have been those angels fighting for him. I'm only submitting the possibility. God is free to use whatever means he desires to use. And he could have used the shouting. And he could have used the sound of the trumpets. But God has an infinite army of hosts that could have tumbled those walls down easily. And this was the prince of the host of Jehovah who fought with his host against Jericho and the walls came tumbling down whatever means he used. Can you picture, can you picture what we couldn't, what they couldn't see, what we can't see. They just did what they were told to do. They shouted. They had told to be silent for all those previous days. And now they were told to shout. And the walls came tumbling down. Perhaps what they couldn't see or what's not recorded for us is that the host of the Prince of Jehovah tumbled all those walls down. It's sort of like that in 2 Kings, Elisha's servant. They were surrounded by the, the armies of Assyria. And the servant says, Elisha, Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw on the mountains chariots. The mountains filled with chariots. The host of Jehovah Sabaoth. Jehovah of hosts. Filling the mountains with chariots. And why couldn't that have been the case in Jericho? I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying, why couldn't it have been? The prince of the hosts of Jehovah was none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is indeed Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah of hosts, saving his people, saving his people. Let us pray. Our Father, we do praise Thee and thank Thee for our King, the head of the church, that He is Prince of the hosts of Jehovah. <coughs> we thank Thee, O Lord our God, that He is our great High Priest, our Prince, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. He is the Lord of all. And He is our Redeemer. And he loves us. And he loved us even unto death. And we thank thee for thy love that gave him up for a time that he might come and lay down his life, shed his blood that we might be redeemed. We praise thee, O Lord our God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand for the benediction, please. I'm simply going to use the first few verses of this psalm that we spent some time going through. Psalm 103 in the first few verses, Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Amen.